Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 37, 809 through 806 BC. Previously on The Fan of History, we spent three episodes with the Spartans. But now it's time to go back to the main action of Assyria. Shamshi-Adad V of Assyria crushed Babylon into anarchy. Assyria's western territories have been neglected for 17 years. To the north of the empire, the power of Urartu is ever-increasing. Dan, what are these Assyrians going to do with themselves? Uh, that's the question. Remember how... Shamshadad V was obsessed with going to Babylon every year and beating them up again and again. <laughs> right. Now his son, Adag Nirari III, is the king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And Assyria is still the strongest state in the Near East, with Urartu as a close second at this time. Adag Nirari III is the sixth king of the empire, and we talked a lot about his mother, Queen Semiramis, who mm -hmm. was not as great as her legend. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. Uh, the vassal states in the West, or every vassal state of the Assyrians, it's tough to be a vassal state of Assyria. So they are all looking to avoid the heavy tribute imposed on them. And now they haven't been to Syria for 17 years, so um, those states are not... Paying their tribute. How dare uh, they? Adad Nirari III is a complex personality, and <coughs> it's very hard to tell if he. You, you could say that Shamshadad V was a pretty bad king, but this guy is more grey. He has the traits of a great warrior king, and it's hard to judge his success because Assyria is in a downward spiral that sort of stops during his reign. His reign is fairly long, but he doesn't stop the spiral. So when he mm. will be gone, the empire will be in 
really bad in a really bad position. We also do not have the full documentation of his reign. We only know of the Western campaign. So there will be campaigns that I can only name a name in. And we don't really know what happened. Okay. And there is still a chance that in Iraq, this is one of the things we should be looking for about the Assyrians. What happened during Adad Mirari III's reign? Because it is fairly long. And we will start immediately with one of those campaigns in 809 BC. Adad Mirari III attacks the Medes. Okay. And there's a place mentioned called Egbatana. There will be eight campaigns during Adad the III's reign against the Medes. Eight? Do you know anything about the Medes? The Medes. It sounds familiar, but no. I don't I can't say I know anything about the Medes. We are still thinking about the role of the role of the Medes, but when Assyria ends, the Babylonians take over in the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Okay. And then the Medes take over in what is called the Median Empire, but this is very contested right now. This is in the 6th century BC. And the Median Empire, a part of that is are the Persians. And then the Persians take over the Median Empire. So the Great Persian Empire rises out of the Median Empire. So the Medes and the Persians are very connected oh, wow. and very similar. And there's a question if they are really different people. Hmm. In this time, we, the Assyrians consider the world, like there's the civilized world of Assyria, Babylonia, maybe Syria, Egypt, like the, the core civilized sure. world. Makes sense. And then at the outskirts of the world, like the Russian steppes or Pakistan, there is the Um and Manda, the, the horde from God knows where. <laughs> an enormous barbarian horde that just lives on the edge of the world and the Persians and Medes are their cousins they are like a little civilized oh, but they can talk to the Umen Manda <laughs> and in 712 BC this is a spoiler the Umen Manda will strike down on the Assyrians that seems to be a theme throughout all of human history yes uh, but there has uh, the the barbarian invasions of mesopotamia so far has been from fairly nearby so mesopotamia has managed to um, domesticate the barbarian hordes for oh, thousands of years but when in 712 they will meet an enemy they cannot domesticate and it will be pretty much the first invasion of horse people like the uh, Mongols and okay. uh, the Huns. But we'll talk about that in a much later episode. <laughs> okay. About the Medes, at this time they're living south of Mania, that is in the Sagros Mountains, to the east of what is today Iraq, in what is today Iran. So on the, on the outskirts of the Assyrian Empire to the east, and there, there could be a very simple purpose to attacking the Medes. Uh, the Medes are close to the Assyrian fortresses in Samoa, but the Medes have horses, and the Assyrians need horses. So the purpose of these 
and what is called campaigns, they might just be horse stealing raids. <laughs> and we are still uh, quite far away from the Median Empire. So the Medes, but the Medes seems to be uh, a troublesome foe at least because of, right. they need these many campaigns to handle them. But they are nowhere close to Assyria in power. That's a uh... Hmm. If you need horses to fight and you're going into a horse-rich area, seems yes. like you would be at a disadvantage <laughs> straight away. Yeah, but the Assyrians have horses. They just need more horses. Need and more. the Assyrians are better fighters. Okay. So kill the Medes, take their horses could be the plan. <laughs> all right. Let's jump all over the world to China. All right. What's going on in China? It's been a while since we've talked about China. And we're still in the Western Zhou, and the Zhou dynasty is strong. And there's a king called Yuan, we talked about earlier. And yeah. in 808 BC, he has to intervene in the kingdoms of Lu, Wei, and Qi. These are all subject kingdoms. Okay. Uh, Zhou, the Zhou kingdom itself is very small, but it controls a big area of uh, which we now call China. They just called it the Yo hegemony. Okay. But uh, there are powerful nobles in these subject kingdoms, and they fight each other, and they sort of undermine the control of the central Yo state. So in this decade, the king has to intervene in these three places. And the, the control of the Zhou dynasty over the Chinese states is weakening constantly. So we are close to the, the collapse of the Western Zhou Empire. But now, for now, it is uh, quite a powerful state. Oh, yeah, it's huge. And it's been around for a long time. It's definitely not as big as China is today, but it is huge for... It is uh, the biggest state in the world. Right. In 808 BC. It's funny how this far back you can see stuff that's trickling towards if you jump way in the future. Like, yes. You know, like the Boxer Rebellion and all that. Like, it's just this slow, like a slow burn almost. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's interesting also how China was the most powerful economy in the world for 2,000 years. Right, and we have only spent two hundred years with, during which China has not been the most powerful economy in the world, hmm. and they are on their way back. Yep, that's crazy. <laughs> back to Assyria. Back to Assyria. Who do we got going? <laughs> what else do we have going on in Assyria? We have another mystery campaign of Adad Nirari the Third. As a good Assyrian king, he has to campaign every year. Oh yeah, and this. This time he attacks a place called Gusano. And uh, I don't know what that is. There is an Assyrian province called Gusana, mm -hmm. which sounds similar. It's in the Bible as Gosan. Right. But it's inside the empire. Why would they attack their own? <laughs> That's weird. It even seems to be inside the Assyrian heartland. So oh. it's not a subject area. It's not a vassal. Right. It's not anyone paying tribute. It's an Assyrian province. So maybe there was a rebellion or something. 
That's weird. If anyone knows anything about Gusanu, please let us know. But yeah, there's another here. Yeah, definitely. But it seems that if there was domestic trouble, it is gone after this year. Uh, in 808 BC as well, the, things happen in Urartu to the north in what is today Armenia, pretty much. Uh, Menua, the king of Urartu, rises his son up to be co-regent. So Inushpua also becomes the king of Urartu. So father and son ruling together. Like and an, it like is an internship. Yeah. Pretty much. And also, of course, it helps succession. But the Urartians doesn't have any big problems with succession that we have seen. Maybe it's because of things like this. Uh, it is unclear which year this happens. So 808 BC is just a good guess. But it happens sometimes between 810 and 796 BC. We have four monuments from the Urartians where Inushpua is mentioned as the co-regent. But he never succeeds his father. Whoa. Do we know what happened? Now we'll talk about that in a later episode. Okay. Uh, Menua is a pretty good king and he keeps Urartu growing. And a weird fact about him is the Assyrians never mention him. So maybe he wasn't that active in threatening the Assyrian border. But uh, rather built up his country in the north. Right. But the Assyrians, yes, they, they don't believe in Minua. <laughs> Ignore him, he'll go away. I'll talk a little about the religion in Urartu, because they have their own unique um, religion. And we have mentioned this before uh, a bit. Their main god, they have 69 gods. Most of them are unknown from other cultures, but others are adapted from local gods, just like the Romans did. Right. Uh, their main god is Haldi, the god of war. And he sounds very similar to Asher, <laughs> the god of war in Assyria, <laughs> who is also the number one god or the only god of the Assyrians. And the main difference between Haldi and Asher is that Haldi is worshipped in a place called the House of Weapons. And this is a temple filled to the brim with weapons. <laughs> so it's a very violent place, or at least a very militaristic place. And there is Shivini, the sun god, but Shivini is now number two on the top ten Urartian <laughs> gods list. Yeah. Haldi says to the Urartians that they have to go on yearly campaigns. Huh? That sounds familiar. That? Yes. <laughs> And of course, these campaigns are not against the Assyrians at this point, because that would be suicidal. Oh, right. <laughs> so they fight the, the Northerners. And it's extremely hard to understand what kind of small mini-kingdoms are in the mountains between the Mesopotamian plains and the Russian steppe. Okay. But there seems to be an endless supply of small kingdoms that the Urartians can conquer. So whenever, you, whenever the Urartians write something, they talk about winning um, important victories against kingdoms nobody has ever heard of. 
The problem then is that these small northern kingdoms north of the Iraqians, they keep the Umen Manda at bay because they keep out the hordes from the Russian steppes. Okay. And if the northern kingdoms grow too weak, there is nothing between Urartu and uh, the main tribes of the Russian steppe. And at this point, the main tribe is the Cimmerians, who are not Conan, as we have mentioned before. <laughs> no. <laughs> In I know. In 807 BC. so bad, but I understand. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard not to think of them as Conan. <laughs> uh, in 807 BC, the III attacks the Meneans. This is the third kingdom in the triangle of Urartu, Anasuria, and the Meneans. So they are the smallest of the three. They are southeast of Musasir, the important Urartian um, religious center. And okay. there's a, l- a big lake there called Lake Urmia. And you can check this on the map. Like Urmia is very interesting because it is, uh, it is almost gone today. Uh, the change in the environment has reduced the size of this lake enormously. But it has happened in the last fifty years. Oh, is that the one that suffered from the like the Russian terraforming? No, that's um, uh, that's the you no what's Aral? Aral. Yeah. Oh, okay. But there are there are thousands of lakes and uh, places like this today. Okay. The, Google that. It's uh, pretty horrifying, actually. And Lake Urmia is one of the victims. Hmm. Um, we we don't know what happened in Adarnirari's campaign because this is not a Western campaign. We only know what happens in the Western campaigns. Right. But the III goes in, crushes the Manians. They are also under pressure from Urartu. And uh, they still survive somehow. Hmm. Well, good so, for them. <laughs> yeah, they, they will be around for quite a while. And it is likely at this time that the Medes and the Persians are uh, vassals to the Manians. That the Manians have some sort of control over the Sagros Mountain horse tribes. I gotcha. Uh, the Manias are a bit mysterious, actually. We, do, we don't know too much about them. Uh, let's go back to Babylon, the great city, and Babylonia, its country. Babylon. Poor Babylon. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. Yes, Babylon is really, really poor right now. <laughs> the Babylonians are notorious for writing everything down. And we have not a single source of written material from this period from Babylon. We actually don't know who ruled Babylon. The only thing we have is a reference to five kings in Babylon between 811 and 800 BC. So five kings in 11 years. And one of those kings might have been Adad-Nirari III himself under some Babylonian name. I got and you. It is possible the Babylonian was a vassal state to Assyria, but if it was, Assyria took no responsibility for getting Babylon back on its legs. And of course, you have the three barbarian people in Babylonia as well, also causing trouble the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans in the south, in the swamps, the Kassites in their own kingdom, mm-hmm. and the roaming Arameans, who are not. As soon as there is trouble, they remember the roots and go back into the countryside <laughs> and start plundering stuff. We have the name of one king uh, in 800 BC called Minurta Apla X, because we can't tell what the third name is. Um, oh, and we have... I would say that's interesting. So they just put an X when they can't read it? Yes. Gotcha. So we don't know anything about this guy except this partial name. And he's probably not a, a Chaldean. A Chaldean. So that was confusing, but now it will get a lot worse because I have to mention Egypt, otherwise people get sad. Oh I would really like to avoid Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what he's about to read is... I mean, if you don't see it, I don't know how you can keep up with this in your head, because my goodness. These names. Yeah, and if, <laughs> if anyone is an expert on Egyptian uh, uh, third intermediary period, please enlighten us. But this is what I've come up with, is the situation in Egypt. But Egypt is still living in splendid isolation, and they still think they are the greatest country in the world. Uh, but they're not in the Iron Age yet, uh, and everyone else is, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and so we have uh, some pharaohs, <laughs> a, b- a bunch of them. We have Pedibas the first. He rules Thebes and the Western Oasis, that is uh, the western part of the Delta. He is of the 23rd dynasty. We have Takelot II. He rules in southern Egypt, also called Upper Egypt. He seems to be of both the 22nd and the 23rd dynasty, because all of these guys are still Libyans of Libyan descent. Okay. And then 
in the north, in Tanis itself, the old capital of the 22nd dynasty, Sheshonk mm-hmm. III rules. And he seems to be like the pharaoh of the greatest prestige. But he can't even control his own territory. So several great chiefs of the Ma, war chiefs of Libyan tribes, are ruling independently, just paying lip service to Sheshonk III in the delta. Of course, the Libyans loved the delta. So Takilot II was pretty clever to go to the, <laughs> the wealthy south where the Libyans think it's too hot. It's too hot. That's funny. And we have a source here, but uh, he is also extremely confusing. So let's talk a little about Osorkon III, who might also be Osorkon B. We have mentioned this guy before. Mm-hmm. His, full, his full name is Usser Matres Sette Panamun Osorkon III CS. <laughs> Yeah, I will believe what you said. <laughs> no way I can refute that. <laughs> there is trouble in the south. There is civil war. And he is fighting in the south to reclaim um, the south for his father. Uh, he also has a brother, Bakken Patah who is a general in his forces. They are stationed in Heracleopolis, uh, which is a very strategically located city in uh, the middle of Egypt. So, uh, uh, Takilot II dies in this decade. That was the guy ruling in southern Egypt, the ruling in parts of southern Egypt. And Osorkon III is his son, and inherits the claims to Thebes and the south. Shoshenk uh, III in the north ensures that Osorkon III is the rightful ruler of the south and they have a royal marriage alliance. But Same then we have, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, then we have uh, this guy, Pedabas uh, I, who is uh, conquering the south for taking Osokon III's stuff. Hmm. And we have an inscription from Osokon III with a first-hand report from from the South. Are you confused? Yeah? I am trying to keep up, I swear. (laughs) Please read Osokon III comments in your best Egyptian voice. Oh, boy. Hold on. (laughs) And make it whiny. Make it whiny. Yes. (laughs) Okay, he wants. No one in authority came to help me. I was alone without a friend. <laughs> Poor Osorkon the third. Yeah, where, where? <laughs> and we're still almost eighty years away from Pi, and Pi will finally unite Egypt again. But we have eighty years of chaos in Egypt. <laughs> Ahead of us. (laughs) And it's amazing how isolated Egypt was because nobody external profits from this internal chaos in Egypt. Because Egypt is just so isolated and it's it's the Nile is everything and we live at the Nile and we are far away. Right. I have some information from India this time. Oh my goodness. 
We never have That's... information from India. Yeah, it's because they don't have writing. Ah. So all we have are oral legends. Because the Indians have forgotten writing. They once had writing, but they don't have it anymore. Uh, but still, uh, this is this is hard to believe. Okay. But things happen in India at this point, and I can't see how these things happen without writing. Uh, there is a major Aryan kingdom in the north of India called Panchala. We are in the Vedic times. Okay. And there is this important character called Baudhayana. He does a lot of stuff. He writes the Baudhayan Sutras. Okay. They are about Dharma. They are about the daily rituals you should undertake, about the Vedic sacrifices. But he's also a mathematician. And he comes up with the Pythagorean theorem. That's How? 400 years before Pythagoras. Wow. Okay. He can also find the circle with the same area as a square. So he must have known of pi. That's amazing. He can also uh, uh, get the square root of 2 correct to 5 decimals. I thought you said they had no writing. <laughs> they have no writing. So how does he do this? I don't I don't know. <laughs> and and this is the nature of Indian information at this time, but this seems to be a uh, fact. But without writing, it, you can't really prove much. Right. And this continues down to the 3rd century BC or the 4th century BC, but somewhere around there. And this, this has upset many Indians who listen to this because they have a lot of oral traditions. Sure. Uh, but uh, we're trying to stick to what can be proven here. But we know that this is probably the age of the first Upanishads. Do you know what the Upanishads is? <laughs> or? Um, I should because I took a class at university. And they talked about the Upanishads, but I, other than remembering what they were from, I, I can't tell you anything about them. I'm sure my That's professors about are what I knew upset. Before I, <laughs> before I studied this. It's a collection of Vedic texts. Mm -hmm. it, it's too early to speak about Hinduism. We are in the Vedic times. Uh, it's sort of pre-Hinduism. Mm -hmm. But in the Upanishads, there is the earliest emergence of central religious concepts of Hinduism, but also of Buddhism and Jainism. And if we get to the 6th century BC in this show, we'll talk a lot about Jainism. Because uh, it is very important on the level of Buddhism and Hinduism for the 6th century BC. Uh, the Upanishads are extremely hard to date. So some scholars claim that they are from from this time, from the from uh, yeah 805 BC or so, but maybe they don't appear before 600 BC. That's the uncertainty we are playing with here. We have more than 200 known Upanishads, and that's about what I got from this. Mm. But they are still important texts in Hinduism, right? 
Uh, I also wanted to check in with the Olmecs in Mexico. Hey, we haven't checked in with the Olmecs in a, also a long time. In two episodes, we will do the the great civilizations of the world in 800 BC. And they will show up there, of course. But cool. I want to check in with them uh, in this episode as well. Because the Olmecs, they really live in splendid isolation. They think they are the only civilized culture in the world. <laughs> that ends about here. Because there's a little civilization in their neighborhood now. And it's the Mayans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Mayans formed their first statelet. So mini-state. Today it's referenced as La Blanca. That was definitely not its name. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's on the Pacific coastal region of Mexico. Uh-huh. And the Olmecs are pretty much uh, around the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, yeah. They don't care much about the, the Pacific. So this is happening close to the Olmecs. And the Olmecs are probably heavy influence on the Mayans. So the Mayans are not the Olmecs, but they are very much influenced by the Olmecs. Which is a far bigger and uh, more civilized civilization. But the great center of uh, Olmec civilization at this point is still La Venta. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I have some information on the Olmec diet here. Do you want it? Sure. They mainly eat fish, turtle, snake, crabs, shellfish, birds, and rabbits and deers. But their main protein source is dogs. Dogs? Yes. What kind? Does it say what kind of dogs or just dogs in general? I suppose they... Uh, I don't know, actually, so I shouldn't... But if I am allowed to speculate wildly, I think it's like chihuahua-like dogs or very small dogs. Very small ones? Yeah, I know... here they taste the best. Because <laughs> I know that there's... Um, there's also a long-legged dog in uh, South America. And I was wondering if that would be the same one. Does it taste good? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> to stop the rumors before they happen, we do not eat dogs in Sweden. <laughs> oh, gosh. Stop the rumors. Sure. <laughs> sure, Dan. Likely story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's it for this episode. All right. Well, I guess we will see everybody next time in our next episode where we're going to talk about the end of the ninth century bc there we're going to meet shamshi ilu an armenian who will become the most powerful man in assyria yeah remember diane asher the field marshal who had a lot of influence i do indeed this is diane asher Two point zero, bigger and improved. Oh, a, d- a new new version. Yes, they got, they got the update. Very much upgraded. <laughs> also, the Assyrian royal army will finally return to the west to Syria to restore order. 
Well, there you go. Everybody, please go to the YouTube. Like, subscribe, share. Also, don't forget to review us on iTunes. We're out there. We would love to hear reviews. We try to um, make things interesting for you, and the only way we know that is with feedback. Also, facebook.com slash fanofhistory. It's a good place to go for updates. Twitter, you can do at the fan of history. Um, Dan puts all the updates there. It's a good thing to follow. Twitter is everywhere. So if you're on, if you don't have Twitter, I'd consider it. Also the web, thefanofhistory.wordpress.com. Patreon.com, very important. Um, that if you enjoy these episodes, that helps us out a lot. So, we also seem mm-hmm. to be on Google Play Podcasts. Oh yeah, Google Play Podcasts is a new one. Just did, did you did you check that? Um, I have not checked it for this one. If anyone is listening on uh, Google Play Podcast, please drop us a comment because oh, yeah. it is not available in Sweden. I am not allowed to access it. Oh, that's because I am in this small socialist country that Google doesn't trust or something. <laughs> wow. And I, I live uh, a couple of hundred meters from the Google office in Stockholm. <laughs> they still won't let me listen to my podcast on Google Play. That's crazy. We'll check in on that. I think I think so, I think that you have enough of a friend in America that we can get this worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Well, for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.